0: If you go to miamighostchronicles.com you can find links to the shows mp3 files which you can download or links to your favorite platform like itunes spreaker soundcloud and all other major sources you can find information for upcoming and past talk show appearances as well as new book projects at marlenepardo.com you can also purchase books and merchandise there and you can visit my author page on Amazon at Marlene Pardo Due to popular demand, I'm narrating my true believer stories that I've collected throughout the years in a new series called Supernatural Storytime. You can find links at SupernaturalStorytime.com. If you are into classic horror, ghost, and adventure stories, I narrate some of those at Nightshade Diary. And you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If you would like to read noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I do want to thank you all for being part of my audience, and I think you are all... Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural, and the following is the introduction for tonight's guest, which was Rick Osman. Unfortunately, right into the introduction uh... we had a power failure at his end and we had to scrub that small portion of the show which included uh... a little bit of his background uh... so let me go ahead and talk about Rick, who was born in indiana in nineteen fifty three uh... he's worked in the field of advanced optics for defense corporations and government for about twenty five years now during that time he maintained an interest in ancient mysteries and uh... he also writes a regular Feature for Ancient American magazine entitled Ancient Fortresses of the Ohio Valley. He's uh, written about both accepted archaeology and counterculture traditions, and he's even gone to the point of historical cabals to hide certain history. His first book is The Graves of the Golden Bear Ancient Fortresses and Monuments of the Ohio Valley, which is now in its second edition, and his next book, The Seer and the Oracle, will be available on Amazon, Kindle Nook, and print later this year. Now, Um, you're going to see at the end of the show where he does make mention of his website, which of course I'm going to have in the credits of the show, but, uh, here we are right into the middle of the interview, which is basically when the power caught up with the rest of the show. So guys, here's that great interview with Rick
1: Osman. Show, so guys
2: but again again with the multiple context or multiple meanings dependent upon context uh, amongst the Cherokee you have the seven sacred directions north south east west up down and inward uh, down being the earth that is brown that's the earth um, south being blue which is sour and cold usually North being white, which is cold but also fun and uh, gregarious, and uh, uh, all those other good things you want to think about people. West, west is black. West is death. West is evil. West is uh, serpents.
0: Right. This East was is
2: right. So, East is sunrise. East is red. East is whatever. Um, uh, yellow is skies good good point right Um, so so so, because
0: what you're saying is like it's almost like clustering the colors the directions
2: uh the mean you know in other words this right and each color also has its attendant numeral so my guess is that there even though there are 86 characters in the cherokee syllabary today i think it was originally two groups of 49
0: let me ask you something, Rick. When you mentioned, because I'm curious about this, you said that, like, in that area that you grew up, in, you found all these arrowheads. Did you ever get them dated? How how old they were?
2: Well, only by type. There's no there's no laboratory test that can tell you the date of a rock. Okay. So, stylistically,
1: mm-hmm. we can
2: tell that, uh, say, a Paleo is you know four thousand seven thousand years old, as an example. Right. A Clovis is eleven thousand. 12,300 years old, um, Neolithic and uh, wood, you know, the the whole woodlands, and which is a, a crappy denominator, but that's what they called. it.
1: Right. Um,
2: and, and then you had the specialty points like Cahokia, and, and we have a real good idea of that one because we can date the other things that were found in context with the points because they weren't hunting points, they were ceremonial points. And we can date the bones with which they were buried. Um, so, yeah, I have, I, I've, I've done it. I haven't had it done. I've right. stylistically got multiple points of the same type of rock, which I'm mm-hmm. sure, because I can see them up next to each other and tell the veins running through the rock.
1: Right. But they
2: are over a period. But they were made over a period in three different styles, uh, three different styles, four different points over a period of almost 3,000 years, maybe a little more than 3,000. Right. Well, so be- somebody, was, somebody was learning how to make points differently mm-hmm. using the same type of stone. Right. And which is where I
0: was going with that because sometimes, you know, certain settlements, they're used for a period of time, and then they're abandoned for whatever reason. But it sounds like this place that you're talking about was kept being used by different, you know, whatever the tribe was or whatever the group of people were. And I know sometimes they shift around, but it kept, They kept using it in other words because you're seeing different styles of of what they were doing there with it so it it sounds like for at least thousands of years that area that you're talking about was inhabited or used like you said whether it was for a gathering place ceremonies hunting uh uh, basically a a meeting place uh it sounds like a signal point and a signal point, exactly. In, in other words, it, it converged. There was a convergence there maybe for different reasons besides the signal point, which was oh, obvious.
2: Right. Well, it, it was a good point to watch the herds and know how they were moving or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And and to see far enough into the distance to know which parts of the grasslands were ready for the herds to come and eat them. So you could kind of set up a pre-hunting plan. Right. The um, but they were they were also capable of signaling to at least like I said from right here at right. least seven other places that would potentially have shared in the hunt and the spoils of that hunt. so so it was it would made a coordinated hunting effort right. beyond anything that the archaeologists want you to believe that they were capable of doing
0: now let me because I imagine that that they were there pre the introduction of the horse so what you described, though, is that these herds were so huge that they, they, you know, because you always think of these buffalo hunts with the Native Americans on horseback. But if they were such that, but I'm sure that there was other ways to trap them or if the, their herds were so large, like you said, it was a question of maybe isolating a certain animal. And what, either driving it into a trap
2: or just spearing it or. Uh, it could have been from the beach. It could have been all those, all the above. Okay. Um, we know, uh, what I know about this particular piece of land is that at the bottom of the hill, uh, mm-hmm. half a mile away or so, there was a copse of trees, and we're talking 1805, the earliest map I can find of this area. Okay. There was, a, there was a group of trees just about where this house sits. So that would have been a great place to hide and wait for that one buffalo to come up the right. hill. Right, exactly. Grazing the and the one at the bottom of the hill could have been talking to the one at the top of the hill all the time.
0: Exactly. And cut
2: off the
0: exactly. That yeah that there was right that this is the way that they they would coordinate to make it a successful and hunt and safe because of course you know you're you're yeah. always thinking ah that's you know you and you're absolutely right because you never think of this type of coordination for a hunt from people living there you know, even thousands of years before
2: God. Right. And, and the other thing is, from from this spot, which was a great killing zone, and apparently a pretty good place to uh, to butcher them, because I've right. also found knives and scrapers and all the other accoutrements you need to 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 uh, process <laughs> a bison. Right. Um, it's 300 yards from the creek. And in, in the creek in those days, we're talking before the white men dredged out all everything and lowered the water table, mm-hmm. that creek was probably, you know, 40, 50 feet across and, and uh, not flowing swiftly, but flowing. Right. So right. you could have loaded, loaded your processed meats, whether they actually cured them here or not, right? into your canoe, take them down the creek uh, about Six and a half, seven miles to the White River, and right on the other side of the White River was a four hundred, uh, a four thousand to forty eight hundred person village of Shaw. Right. So they probably had hunters out in all directions trying uh-huh. to feed that. People.
0: <laughs> that is so interesting. Today,
2: and- the group that exists there today is luckily maybe five hundred people. So wow.
0: But yeah, it's, you could see that that absolutely like you know i'm not gonna lug this thing across you know whatever a piece of meat I, yeah i'm gonna put it on my canoe and just float on down back to my village and either disperse it or you know or prepare it or whatever the case might be uh, that makes that 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 shows a level of coordination as far as planning you know the the that's absolutely.
2: A, um, it's not just planning it's also things like um um, designation of labor, designation of duties, um, um, division of labor. You got one person over here trying to feed all these people. Got this other person over here making clothes for everybody. Got this other person over here making points so that the hunter can do his job. Uh, got a, somebody making canoes. It's not all the same person doing everything. We want to think that the Native Americans were. Um, specialists. Okay. But they were generalists with specialties in between. In other words, a a brave could do all these things. He didn't have to be a fighter or a hunter.
0: Right. He was cross trained.
2: Yeah, he was cross trained on the absolute must haves of the community. And Mm -hmm. and the women were too. Some women made baskets, some women made ceramics, some women cooked, some women sewed, some you know some women farmed because men weren't very good at it probably still aren't unless there's a machine involved but <laughs> they, they, like, they don't like farming they like driving it's just
1: that simple but, <laughs> um
0: but you know what the, the, it's it's and, and it's I, I, and, and i'm gonna introduce and you tell me you know everybody always thinks you know um as far as technology and advancement and sometimes don't get me wrong i think that one of the hallmarks of of a civilization is to know what we have is good enough and it serves our purpose you understand in other words we don't need to keep going as far as you know signaling yeah in other words if it's if it's serving the purpose of that group of people whether it's for the hunt for protection for communications for um, maybe reaching out to people that were further away but there comes a point where if all these things are working and the civilization is flourishing and its needs are being met. I think sometimes there's nothing wrong with saying this works and let's keep it this way. You know that saying, you know, don't fix it if it ain't broke. Almost like that same mm-hmm. mentality.
2: Uh, Finding new, making sealing wax, as, as the Beatles made it thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier that there was a leader, which I, I'm curious about this, that extended that covered a huge track of land. Can you talk about yeah. that? I was unaware of that. that. That was very interesting what you mentioned.
2: Okay. We don't know his name or the family name or you know how the dynasty was developed or promulgated. What mm-hmm. we know is that Cahokia was a capital. Right. We know that because of native um, oral traditions. Right. Their version of history. And we also know a few things about the very early contact people who who said, oh, look, this over here, this is the capital of whatever they want to call themselves. And mm-hmm. they pointed to Copia. And there's a 1679, I think it is, I'd have to go research that again, map, okay. um, of Eastern North America. Because remember, the French had already been here a 100 years by then. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows Cahokia as the capital of pretty much all of eastern North America, extending wow. up into uh, up into Nova Scotia and Quebec, and uh, as far as you are, South Florida, right. even even parts, even down towards the Cato part of Texas, Cato being one of the tribes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So this Mississippian political animal that it was right. had political control of most of what is now the United States and parts of Canada. And they had they had influence across parts of the Atlantic. And I'm wow. talking about going south. They had influence in Maya country because they were trading with it. They had influence in central Mexico because they were trading with it. And um, the Spanish, who were, who conquered Mexico, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. uh, conquered Mexico, heard from the, the people there about the riches in Wisconsin and Ohio and New York. Okay. And then sent people in that direction. Well, almost none of them survived, but they sent people there. Right. And DeSoto, Hernando de Soto, who, well, he missed where you're at, but he went through parts of Florida mm-hmm. up into Mississippi. Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Arkansas. But my contention is he also made it into at least southern Indiana, searching for the Lake of Silver, because he was told to go look for the Lake of Silver by the people of Mexico. (laughs) And they told him where to go look for it. And he believed them, at least. Right. But he never did find any silver. What he did find, however, before he was killed, uh, was something in the vicinity of 300 to 350 pounds of river pearls. And that was his only treasure that he gained from his travels in North America before he died. Nobody knows where the pearls went.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
2: But that would be a lot of good Now, having said that, I investigated where would you find that many river pearls. And he, the Chronicle very specifically mentioned black river pearls okay and they know of two places where you can find those in north america one is in the white river of arkansas and the other one is a wabash river of here in indiana and illinois so my conclusion is he was dead before he got to arkansas that's not where he got the pearls
0: okay so he had to have gone then to wisconsin that's what you're saying where you got him then?
2: No. no wabash river of indiana and illinois
0: and d- I'm, I'm, do you think by the time, uh, by the time, well, you're talking here, what, 15th century, do you think it's that 15, when he 30 got 30 up pop. into this area, he, oh, because that, from what I understand, Pahokee they were considered, the people that were considered mound builders, builders, right?
2: Yes. Okay. Well, Pahokee is the largest building in period, anywhere at all. There are some contenders, uh, People believe are bigger, but I'm not even I'm not even sure they're completely natural. I think they're modified natural
1: hills.
0: Okay, um, because I I imagine because you always hear that when, for example, from when the when the Spaniards got to Mexico and to the Incas and everything, they saw this gold. In other words, this is what turned like oh, there's we got to find where's more of this stuff, and yeah. you know, makes you wonder did they send the spaniards up here into you know into the interior of north america on a wild goose chase or because they knew of something because they had traded with the people here
2: uh oh they had with the people here for certain now whether they were just trying to get rid of the spanish right or not, right that, that, that's a good question and i can't necessarily answer it but remember that the spanish didn't go into what we call Mexico City alone, they went in with five thousand uh, yeah. consolidated troops of native, other native tribes who really hated the Aztecs. Right, right,
0: yes, yeah, that, that's a different thing than sending an exploratory, you know, few men, yeah, go in there and see what you find. They're totally different.
2: Right. No, that Cortez went there with the express purpose of conquering what is now Mexico. Right. Right. And so The other thing. We talked about that. Montezuma, the the king that he murdered,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. uh, Montezuma had in his possession what he called a, what we call a scrying mirror. You know what scrying is? Yes. Like working, you know, looking into the future, looking off into this, Mm -hmm. the oracle or terror, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, The ability to see at a distance but the mirror is just that it's just a mirror right and so my contention is he was capable of reading and writing whatever they did with these mirrors and sending and receiving those messages that's how he knew the spanish were coming
1: okay
0: which makes sense which
2: yeah makes- nobody ever addressed how did he know they were coming he, he addressed them as god but how did he know they were coming
0: right right yes uh, uh, yeah if you think about it there was that element of surprise that you always think of as missing
2: yeah because <laughs> they weren't surprised no. at all the horses no. were nice and
0: right and, and it makes you wonder you know and even then even if because you always think you know the the, the you know historically you think of uh, here they're, they're they're seeing these three galleons or whatever you know just come in on the water but still that doesn't that doesn't mean anything it's like okay those are really big canoes or whatever um but for them to yeah obviously they were not surprised they just didn't know
2: but the the idea that montezuma used line of sight communication is not the most important part of what the spanish chronicled in their visits with him at least not in my opinion
1: and what do you think? My
2: notion part is they chronicled him drinking up to 75 shots of, of uh, uh, what you would have to call cocoa. That's a lot. That's a well, lot. A day, yeah.
0: That's God.
2: And it's, uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's 100 proof, but still.
0: That's a lot.
2: Yeah, it's a lot. Yes, it is. Uh, but, but wasn't that we have other historians who contend that's how many he served in a day not how many he personally drank
1: mm-hmm. either
2: way it's an expensive use of commodities because it was a form of um currency right to because buy. i was gonna say but, wasn't mm-hmm. the
0: cocoa only like you know the, the 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 royal families or the higher echelons of society had access to cocoa
2: yes. if, if i don't know if i'm correct with that no. I, I believe that's probably after at least after it got into North America because it was an expensive uh, exotic mm-hmm. commodity. Probably. Right. Um, but the Maya, it wasn't so much because well, it, you know, it was from the farm next door.
1: Right. Okay,
2: it was a couple hundred, but still, it wasn't a couple thousand bucks. But well, and. But I'll give you an, I'll give you an example let's let's put that distance in perspective. Okay. Orlando, Florida, is one mile closer to Managua, than Nicaragua, than it is to Chicago, Illinois.
0: Yeah, I know, isn't that weird when you think of it that way, huh? Wow, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. But you tell that to somebody, and to them, Managua or Nicaragua, we're like, that's another continent, that's really far away.
2: Yeah, but it's not. It's not. And and if you were in a canoe, and let's say it's a hundred foot long canoe, which is pretty much what most of the Maya used, mm-hmm. and that's what the what the Caribs used in, when they were meeting uh, Columbus out in the middle of the Caribbean,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and you put twenty men in that canoe and say a thousand pound of whatever commodity you want to move, and you leave the, pen- the peninsula down there at the Yucatan, right. and 18 days later, you pull in at St. Louis. Right. So with all the cocoa that we're finding in all these ceramics, Uh I I shouldn't say we, I'm just relating the tale. Right. But all this cocoa, uh, and it's all within probably 100, 200-year period. Okay. Um, So for a couple hundred years, we think, there was this very reliable, very regular trade network where all of every... Vessels, and I'm not talking about the canoes. I'm talking about the ceramic vessels that held this stuff. Right. Were the female. and it, to me, it's like saying this little female-shaped glass bottle with a slightly green tint and this really dark liquid in it that mm-hmm. we know is Coca-Cola.
1: Right. But
2: we know that bo- we know that bottle is Coca-Cola. hmm And that's what the ceramics were. They were branded and marketed.
0: Wow. In other words, and yeah, that was like, everybody wanted some of that. So, like, whatever we're producing, yeah, we'll trade it for that.
2: Yeah. I, and so my task has become to figure out what they traded for. What, what was here that was so valuable that you, they could bring stuff from...
0: Right. You know. I was about to ask you, what was it? I mean, do you know or do you have come across any information about what what they were exchanging? Or Well, it was not exchanging, this basically was it was a... It was a
1: it was a transaction
2: exchange. yeah, yeah. It, let's call it a commodity exchange mm-hmm. uh, i think it's black, black river pearls as one example right i think they were playing a type of stone called indiana horn blend which makes some beautiful projectile points okay um i still think that they were creating what is today a threatened species when we call it a short bladder pod but it is a plant that is native to the greater Ohio Valley. But in Indiana, there's about a quarter of an acre left.
1: What? And
2: it just ha- it just happens to be adjacent to what used to be a 15,000-person town. So hmm. my guess, and, and it wasn't native to that open plains part. It's actually native to limestone hills, valleys, and whatnot. But it was transplanted there, and because it's not really native to it, it's today only growing next to a gravel road where they use limestone as the gravel something about the limestone is the only thing keeping it alive i do not know that's what That's interesting it
0: for. that's an interesting oh okay i see what you're saying as far as this is the only place that we're going to be able to get it from
2: yeah well, oh. well and and they also moved it closer to the point of shipping they moved their growing yes. area to po- Posey County, Indiana which is right by the Wabash River. Mm -hmm. It's right near a conjunction of the Wabash River and the Ohio River. Right. So there are a couple dozen known, very large archaeological sites around there, one of them being a place called the Slack Farm, which that case is what gave us or what led to the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, NAGPRA. Okay. Because the... um, The people who inherited that farm from their father were not interested in farming. And somebody came along with $10,000 in a backhoe and said, I want to dig up your land. And they got tens of thousands of artifacts. Really? Pre-Columbian and whatnot.
0: That's pretty good guesswork.
2: It wasn't a guess at all. (laughs) No, I'm sure. Because all these graves were laid out in a grid pattern with headstones and writing on the headstone never heard about that in history no
0: i have not ever heard of that so this was uh how how far back what 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 were they what time were they dated back to do you know
2: Um, we have limited access to um, materials that we can date but the consensus if you want to call it that is about 1250 up to about 1700. So they died out completely, just before white men got here.
0: That's that's quite a while back. That's incredible.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, but it, it's also a testimony to there was something there that provided a living for 12 or of people. Oh, as a community. Or uh, no, absolutely,
0: yeah. I mean, it's. I think that holds true in all civilizations, regardless. When you see a concentration of people over a length of time that stays there and stays there and stays there and grows and all these things grow around it whether it's like a burials and uh, you know a trade pope you know there's got to be something there that keeps them anchored there as far as it being a favorable place
2: for the people yeah agreed and that's kind of become my passion is trying to figure out exactly what that was
0: Rick why do you think that this I don't I don't want why this history about that this area and the people that were there way way back is kind of like kept. Um, I don't want to well I don't want to say hidden, but it's not given a lot of um, recognition historically.
2: Okay, there there are a couple of things going on here. One of them being I mentioned earlier that the holes would appear in the manifest destiny thing.
1: Right. That destiny
2: itself grew out of right of conquest,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, and not the United States conquered the Indians, but because the United States conquered the British, who had conquered the French, who had received most of this from the Pope, and in theory had conquered most of North America. <laughs> that the did not places like New Orleans. Uh, and New Orleans was a French colony. Right. But it was admitted, it was administered by the Spanish relative of the French king. So in the Spanish acted as regent up until eighteen oh three when Fairweather Lewis signed the papers to buy it. And mm-hmm. here's where we get into the real manifest destiny. Let's hear it. I'm start with the new because he was an attorney. He knew that what he and the United States was purchasing from France was not the land that made up the Louisiana territory. Right. But what they were purchasing was and it's in the treaty sale, sale in the bill of sale, if you want to call it that. Right. They bought city of New Orleans mm-hmm. and they bought the right the exclusive right to trade with the natives who lived in that giant piece of land.
1: Oh. And that's
2: all they were paying. They were not buying the land. Yes. The the, the people of um, particularly New York City of the time, 1830s on up, Mm -hmm. and Andrew Jackson, Nashville, Tennessee, at at that particular time, and Washington, D.C., he said, I don't care. It's ours. Move. Get out of my way. And they they moved all the Native Americans by force west of the Mississippi. Uh, Some of them went voluntarily (laughs) because, well, they didn't fare better if they did did it voluntarily and left early because that's what they did. Right. They were calling thousands of people just moving because, well, they knew they didn't really have a choice. But then you take the, the people, the Cherokee as an example, of uh, particularly of Lookout Mountain, uh, which, by the way, the Lookout Mountain shield is almost 100 miles in diameter. So you don't think of it as one mountain. You think of it as one big area. Okay. Of, of 600 square miles. But anyway, they, the Cherokee people, they not only had towns, they had brick houses in the towns. They had their own newspapers. They had streets. They had paved streets. They had wow. sewers. They had, they, yeah, they had indoor plumbing. They had sleigh. They had pretty much everything you know. And when mm-hmm. they had a wedding, it was usually a white wedding. <laughs> Remember that, the happy color
0: uh-huh
2: right um anyway so you had all these people who were their only sin was being the wrong color right they were forced out and their land was taken over by somebody else andrew jackson concentrated very heavily on a 788 hundred eighty-acre plot that he thought was riddled with silver beans. It turned out to be wrong i'm glad he took it the way he did but um, he went broke, pretty much trying to mine out the silver that simply wasn't there.
1: Ah. So,
0: anyway, and and it's really interesting because you know what? It's I can see like you like what you're stating that sometimes things pass. You know, when you look at it from, of course, future generations, you you're totally ignorant of the nuances of what was really motivating. Just like today you know somebody goes 100 years into the future well depends you know sometimes what it looks like the actual facts of what happened there's really so many other things underneath just just uh history just forgets about it or it's purposely hidden or you know that saying to the victor go the spoils no to the victor goes the ability to write history the way they want of course
2: correct
0: yeah
1: that's
2: the reason i quoted Polybius. Because well, he's the only eyewitness. All the Carthaginians were dead. <laughs> right, exactly. So we, we didn't know this side kind of We never will.
0: Right. There's nobody there to contradict the version that's being put
2: out. Right. Uh, two of the cats we have here are named Hamilcar Barca and Hannibal Barca, father and son.
1: That's funny.
0: That's funny. But yeah, it's it's, and and if it's almost like. You know what they say if you could have that hot tub time moment that you could actually go back or even if that participate observe I think most people would be so surprised when they're actually seeing what was what what the person who was existing at that time what was happening around them to bring around these changes and you know I want to say what the majority of people living in those times, really had no control over it. Because these decisions were being made either by rulers, kings, governors, or, you know, people in charge. And they were just being like, you know, you just had to endure, sometimes for the better or the worse, whatever decisions were made or outcomes of wars, etc. But, I mean, there's so much more to it than people would say, Man, I, I didn't realize that that was really what that was about.
2: Yeah. I, back, uh, let's see, this would have been around 1980. I had a, a younger person ask me, So, what were the real causes of the Vietnam War? <laughs> I said, money. Yeah. Because that's the cause of almost all the wars. You, you can say it was religion, but yeah. you know, what's the matter of how much money is yeah. going into the offering place of this particular religion?
0: Right, right, exactly. And, <laughs> um,. Yeah, it's I mean, I was...
2: Oil. It's the, well, it's about the money that oil can bring.
0: Right, well, but, you know, they can't... You know, I, I think what happens is that most populations, majority of people really, all they want to do is be happy. They don't... And usually, you know, war for the sake of war, they're, they're not going to buy into it. You have to motivate them as far as another way. And usually... You put out something that the general population will say, "Okay, all right, let's do that." You know, yeah. but uh, but the real the real motivators for doing that or putting that country or those people into war has nothing whatsoever to do with what's given to the Egyptian population in general to get them on board. In other words, to go along with it.
2: Oh, uh, agreed. That, yeah. And going going back again to Rome. Mm-hmm. the people who specialize in disseminating intelligence to the population today we call them mainstream media Right. they were warning to the people of Rome 2,000 years ago twenty one hundred years, 2,400 years ago and they convinced the people, particularly the senators of Rome to uh, eliminate Carthage from the face of the earth because Carthage wasn't paying enough tribute to rome or they weren't doing it fast right and yet when carthage was placed under siege it had a one thousand one thousand ship convoy of wheat headed for rome
1: by the
0: way they couldn't grow
2: they could not grow wheat in carthage they had traded for it elsewhere. So elsewhere. obviously. So
0: let me ask something. How did they convince them that they would hold uh, food from the population of Rome? And that's how they convinced them. Oh, we don't it have enough to give you because Carthage has not paid.
2: Yeah, that's the basis of it. But it was it was just, just pure propaganda. Uh, right, right, that, right, right. That remember right. that Hannibal had all but surrounded Rome. Right. So it was, uh, and. And had he attacked, he did. It was just like you know when Robert E. Lee had attacked D.C. when he could, but mm-hmm. well, he didn't know he could. Same thing with it. Right. Their intelligence broke down in both cases.
0: Yeah, it always comes down to yeah so, that that point. crucial point, and it's you don't you know and and of course hindsight's yeah. twenty twenty.
2: Yeah, yeah and, and like. Genghis Khan or the Kans, mm-hmm. the Khans tried to invade Japan two different times. Both times, millennial-level tsunamis—not <laughs> tsunamis—typhoons uh, brought the fleet into the <laughs> into talk the
0: about world. bad timing, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Definitely. Somebody must have been saying, you know, <laughs> that the, the, whoever the whoever, you know, okay, forget the third time's the charm kind of thing.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we don't have any more wood to build fleets. Yeah, of course. And, but that's another thing. We we come across. Uh, I'm digressing here just a little bit. We come across occasionally, every few years, a really nice example of an ancient canoe that is you know, hidden in mud someplace in the riverbed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: There is one on display in a casino in Upper Michigan. Okay. Uh, of that town it's an indian casino but they have a 36 foot long five foot wide hollowed out hollow log canoe on display or what's left of it you know parts okay. of it and road however it is held together by two iron spars that run across the beam iron iron and the canoe itself the wood of the canoe is carbon dated to almost two thousand years old.
0: Oh, you're kidding
1: me!
2: What? What it... so did? they get iron bars to run across the beam of that canoe. Yeah. Two thousand. And it was found up in a, uh, a inlet of Lake Michigan.
0: That's way up
2: so there. Like the yeah.
0: That I I I'm just processing that because that's incredible. That
2: is incredible. Yeah, I, I took a little pictures of that, and and I bring that up. I'm segwaying here on purpose. I'm bringing that up because in October, uh, I'll be speaking at a the Ancient Artifact Preservation Society conference in Harris, Michigan.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: At a uh, trade, I forget the name of the casino. That it, anyway, there's a casino there. There's only one casino in Harris, Michigan, so that's where it's at. Okay. And. Uh, uh, I'm setting I'm clean up this particular escapade. There are, I think, 15 different speakers. I'd have to count them again. But uh-huh. I'm, I'm the last one.
0: And how did they find uh, this? Was it, we, it, was it, were they digging something? Because that's usually how they come across. But how did they find this?
2: In, in this case, the property owners were out walking the edge of the lake and ran across it on their property. So oh, there, wow. there was no state archaeologist involved. Uh, the, the, the people were not affluent enough to get everything done by themselves, but they gathered up enough people to do it Mm -hmm. without boat ever disappearing from view.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah. That is incredible.
2: I'm making the case in my my, uh, presentation that some 5,000, 4,000 years ago it was possible to canoe Directly from Isle Royale, in, out in the middle of what is now Lake Superior,
1: mm-hmm.
2: all the way to Pompeii Point, Louisiana, there, what was then on the very coast of Louisiana, now mm-hmm. 75 miles from right. coasting. Anyway, that you could canoe between those two places without portaging. In other words, you could get a canoe through four inches of water right. and more the entire distance from the upper part of Lake Superior to the Gulf of Mexico.
0: Right. And, and, and of a, course, at the right time of year uh, when, when the weather permits.
2: Okay. That yeah. Is, uh, but the idea that you could do it without a portage... Is that's very incredible. Important I know.
0: Because I was about to ask you think, and, and it makes you ahead. wonder, did they have those the source of iron? Did it come up from the Mississippi? Did it come from Canada? Did it come...
2: You know we, wow we don't, have, we don't really have an idea of how to to determine that wow um it is not steel however it is and it's not pig iron it's actually rendered out fairly clean. so it's you know it, it's not blast bonus iron but it's not mm-hmm. you
0: know let me ask something rick i'm and and you know yeah i don't know that it's not necessary that you have the knowledge but i'm just going to ask you your opinion on this Do you think that the theory that some people, archeologists, whatever, have that there was a lot of ancient civilizations that predates a lot of what we think of as ancient civilizations or the timelines that we're giving them?
2: Uh, Yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of holes in most theories. Okay. Um, As an example. We have this site in Turkey called Gobekli Tepe. Mm -hmm. I don't
1: know
2: if to, it's right. 12,000, 13,000, and the number just keeps growing on when it was started. Right. And then after they got it done, they purposely buried it. And it's we like, don't why? <laughs> know how move the, we don't even know where those stones came from. Right. We are pretty sure, because of the way they were arranged, that there was once a structure over it.
1: Mm hmm.
2: And that was sometime between the time that the stone columns were erected and the site was buried. But that's about all we really know. We start looking at the glyphs, the images carved into the stones. We we can't even tell what some of those animals and birds are. Right. And there's only one we make out of the all what is it, 13 of them that has anything that kind of resembles a man and it only barely resembles a man.
0: Yes. So we
2: don't Want to think of that, and that was thirteen thousand years ago. You know, seven thousand years ago, before seven thousand years before, they credit the ancients of being able to write, and yet clearly they could make plans and build out of stone.
0: Right, which is like, you know, there, there, some of the theories is that you know, maybe before what what they call the Bronze Age, you know, you know, you're, you're seeing timelines that correspond to that where we're talking intricate. Uh, buildings and structures and design and engineering because you got to engineer something before you can actually build it and you're like okay this you know you're making it look like these people were running around with furs and and you know they were happy they had a fire but somehow or other they're able to think of you know and engineer this before they actually build it is you know, these a lot of these structures, this is not something that you do as you go along. It's not like, okay, well, put that there. We'll put, eh, this had to have been basically uh, designed at some point to either uh, be built a certain way. Uh, uh, some of them are very precise, also the way that they're built or how they're built, the locations, the height, the width uh, that you're the
2: relationship like to one another.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, Exactly.
2: So I'm at the point of I'm starting to look at what was its function because you don't do some of that you don't do something that intricate and mm-hmm. expansive um, just for well, is
0: Well, this is the point that I make back in these you know, when, when manpower was very needed from your population whatever it was that you did whether like you said you were a hunter whether you You know, if you did any type of farming, even it was on a small scale uh, or whatever. I mean, manpower was important to the whole community. Unless you were like either a a very young child or a very elderly person. So to me, whenever you have a community or town or however many people give up X amount of its manpower for something, it had to have been a very good reason for doing that.
2: Yeah something compelled them to do yes. that, whether yes. it was politics or religion or pure economic need or
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, or maybe just because they were smart. Yes. <laughs> and we may well, but, never but know. It, but. but if
0: you, but in the, and I guess the, uh, let's say you had these, maybe you had uh, these guys that were the engineers or builders or whatever that, let's go for the temple idea Okay, we're going to build a temple. In other words, but you're going to have to pull X amount of manpower out of doing what they would normally do to produce whatever they're producing for this community. And for them to have done that, there had to Are have you, been, a, like also, you said, a compelling you're, reason.
2: You're also going to have to make it worth a while. Of one course. Or oh, yeah, of
0: course. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. But you have to be guaranteed that, hey, we're not building this temple, but by the end of the winter, we'll all be starving because the guys that we're using to build the temple uh that normally we'd be producing what we have we would eat or the stores you know in case of a famine no we have nothing because they had to have something really really i i I guess my point is it had to be very well thought out and like you said very necessary on some level whatever if it it was a metaphysical or a practical reason
2: yeah we can look at pretty much any civilization or government or entity Mm -hmm. of large people in our history, historical period, right. and we can see that place we want really to go. Uh, you know, it's like um, um, Louis XVI to let him eat cake. And, um, but Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cake was a whole lot better than eating nothing. Yeah. And yet it was able to cause a revolution. Um, go back to ancient Egypt, okay, barely in the historical period. 5,000 years ago, somebody decided to call himself a pharaoh and lead the people of Egypt. And it did it so effectively that they built monuments that are still available for us to look at. Well, at least that's the official yeah. line that that's when it wow. is. Wow, but
0: you know what? Uh, yeah. Most most successful rulers or, or dynasties or whatever, they're smart enough to know that you need to keep your people fed because that's it, you know, no food, everybody dies, You know, at the very least, you know. so.
2: Well, and that's still part of places like the United States Military Academy. It doesn't matter how well they'll fight when they're fed, it's how well they can fight when you're not feeding Yeah, because yeah. it suddenly ends. Their ability to fight ends when they die of hunger, of course. Of course, I
0: mean, well, when like what you just said right now about the French Revolution, okay, normally if the populace was being fed, and by this I'm not saying cake, but you know, they were getting their bread and whatever, and things are you know going along. But, you know, that famous quote supposedly by Marie Antoinette that let them eat cake would have been like, huh? OK, well, whatever. You know, like, oh, she's so whatever. But it would never have caused. But when you when you comes out among, you know, people that are starving and their children are starving and people are dying. And then, of course, you know, when people are starving, then they're, you know, they're, they're very sickly. Anything will kill them. Of yeah. course, then the context will blow up and then then you know then we get the french revolution and all that other stuff and you know okay then it, the mob mentality but um when people are being fed and comfortable and things are moving right along it's a lot more difficult to um to incite them how's that and that's why i'm saying when all these different civilizations whatever they were when they decided to do these monuments which are huge and you thinking man it took years and so much. I'm thinking for them to have really gotten a portion of their population to be on board with this, they had to have planned. You know, as far as yes. we we're going to do this, this, we're going to pull case this, case and case we're, case we're case gonna I'm
1: I'm going
2: to be taking care. I'm sorry. We segue on with this because the mound, that, the Monks Mound at Cahokia, right, 135 feet long, 530. 6 feet wide and 125-135 feet tall the right. highest back in history.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, we, we know that there was a pretty large population contributing to the build of this. And, and you think, well, this this took a very long time for, right.
1: for the build. right? And
2: you'd think that. And in uh, 2006, I believe it was, the state of Illinois, in its eminent wisdom, decided to do some, quote-unquote, emergency repairs, to the side of this mound, because part of the dirt was sloughing down, he was right. going to just throw out. So their version of fixing this was to get an excavator in there and dig it out some more. Oh, not great archaeology, not great preservation. However, it provided an opportunity to go look at at uh, least part of the interior of this mound structure. Okay, what was and my good friend Vincent Barrows went and photographed. That he took, I think, 1,130 photographs of this excavation point in the excavator and what they found. And there were pieces of limestone at the very bottom of where they were excavating, and that's why they quit digging there because they did not want to disturb whatever that was.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, it was not big enough. It was placed there, and some of them were as big as a house, but uh, in area, not in height. It okay. It was that thick, but it—it's like, wait a minute, this thing's 20 by 30 and a foot and a half thick and it was moved here that's a um, that's a big loaf. Little... yeah it did uh, that and they did it without a wheel according to all the archaeology mm-hmm.
1: um
2: however even more amazing to me than that was the mound that was built over that was built in a single seat wow and i know that i know that because there was no Foliage, no uh, plant materials grew up in any, and you can see layers. The layers are very distinct in it. And yes, it was done with with baskets, but the baskets are different colored soil. Like it came from from various places, but it all came together in one season. So how many people did that?
0: Exactly. That's Um, my
2: point. (laughs) According to what Vince figured out, and Vince is an engineer, he figured out how many baskets of earth that would be. And uh-huh. how many people it would take to carry, say, you know, uh, right. I think it was 14 and a half million baskets of earth. Um, wow. I get the full report, they're in a binder someplace. But anyway, um, yeah, we figured out it would take about a million and a half people to do it. Uh, absolute lowest number was over a half a million. And that was assuming that the was already there, which right. it was not.
0: So it makes you, <laughs> so okay, so it makes you wonder for? how did they do that?
2: Well, they brought the building in, in canoes from various places. There were there, there were layers of white and yellow and red and blue and green. Green is very rare clay. Um, uh, just all these different colors. And there's even an orange-looking clay that nobody can identify where it came
0: from. Let me ask him, Rick, because I read, <clears throat> and I don't know if this was maybe around the same time period that you were saying that they that they kind of like excavated slash or... Uh, maintaining it whatever that they had discovered mm-hmm. what appeared to be a burial pit with sacrificial victims and you know we were talking yeah, earlier
1: it's in, yeah
2: it's not in that mound it's, it's, it's in mound seventy-two. okay let is, me ask um, a, um,
0: do you think that because you know how we were talking earlier that you know where there was a connection maybe between some of the mines or the aztecs that came and and i was thinking i wonder if I don't want to say it was you know what we were talking about trading not only of goods but of ideas and it makes you because (laughs) if I remember correctly they say usually this happened only under drastic circumstances drought famine you know something significant was happening do you think that this could have been a crossover of religious beliefs between these two civilizations uh, considering yes. because they he, were known
2: really that... was a crossover. I, I do not believe that it was that it was brought intact
0: mm-hmm.
2: because you know, people's, people's populations just rebel at that
0: right exactly exactly, so
2: exactly. What South America did to the Spanish imposition of Catholicism mm-hmm. right. So that's what I think happened to the to the North American population when the central American, religions were brought up here however right. having that the, the what they call the hero twins uh, that show up in maya culture mm-hmm. so much maya cultural materials cultural right. remains right they are found in cahokia they are found in uh, on the white river of arkansas they really? are found down with you at crystal river um
0: uh-huh.
2: there's a, there's a standing stone at Crystal River that many people think depicts the hero twins, and I happen to agree with them. However, I don't think it was carved by a true Mayan. I think it was carved by someone who was a wannabe. Right. Um, um, and and yeah, there are other elements of some of the Mayan religions that show up in North America. Uh, and of course, you also had the what Scott Walters reported on America Unearthed Earth about the blue clay of Georgia mm-hmm. being used as the Mayan blue pigment. And uh, now and that, and see,
0: that's, that's, that's a real mind bender. When you start thinking how large the scope was that these peoples were, were basically communicating. I mean, I'm thinking not only ideas, who knows if they exchanged people as in intermarriage or, Hey, uh, I'm going to spend here a year with you guys. You know, like this is, how this information you know was exchanged
2: I'll know, just a little bit better a lot closer to home for you someplace out in the uh <laughs> the everglades okay there is a spot of uh i don't know a couple hundred square miles maybe a little more that has something like eleven thousand miles of canals in it okay and um, it had uh, platform moons, and it had giant buildings made out of cypress trees. So, you know, some of them still have not rotted. Okay. Um, and and very, they were very Mayan. The, <laughs> you also may not know that there are, there are just a few cenotes out in the Everglades. But uh, because of the nature of the cenotes, they are also religious um, symbols for the maya and one of the cults and the mayas had cults within the overall religion one of them was the green anaconda cult okay and, and there's a green anaconda series of vertebrae not the entire skeleton has been found in association with one of these great houses really like they, they kept their pet dragon there
0: which is significant it, There were yeah it was like a living embodiment of, like a map. Well, I don't want to say right, a mascot, was- but in a way, the representation.
2: Yeah, it was closer to a living god for them because it could eat a person.
1: Yeah. You know,
2: we're talking about probably 25 to 30 foot long snake. Uh,
0: well, you know we what? It's- you
1: know,
0: that one of the things that you know that the, you know, they they believed, you know, that they have those cenotes, which were those pools where they would be, they would. In other words, their belief was that these, where they would throw some of these, uh, it was like a doorway into the uh, underworld, in other words, that that's why they would sacrifice and throw, and they would even throw their treasures and everything. And over here in Lake Okeechobee, um, around the turn of the century and a little bit further, when more people started farming that area and fishing out of it, they would keep coming up with skulls and skulls and skulls and skulls, which of course predated the white man you know you know when these fishermen were bringing up in the nets these skulls they were like they they were they're being described as red like pumpkins there were so many of them and eventually they were found not to be uh they're talking you know natives of the area and it makes you wonder was that an extension of that belief system where bodies of water were the doorway into the underworld and maybe this is why they put their corpses their dead in there i mean these in other words, they these were not people like that, you know, were were victims of, uh, you know, violence or anything. It was like a burial site, for lack of a better word. That's why there's so many of them.
2: Uh, and yeah, they, they're bog burial. Right. Well, and on top of that, also, uh, going up the west, or, I'm sorry, going up the east coast to, uh, uh, let's see, where would that be? Just just south of Canaville. Um mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of that development, but they they were digging out foundations to put in a new housing development out there. And they started running across what they call bog bodies. And these bodies were wrapped in fabric. Uh, it was a, a true woven fabric.
0: Uh-huh. And
2: they were so well preserved in some of them that the brain was intact, even though the C-14 dating said that they were 7,000 years old. Oh, what?
0: Where's this at?
2: <laughs> uh, west uh, East coast of Florida. Um, I is this melbourne
0: itself. melbourne um okay Based this is up
2: by melbourne yeah. it's close to melbourne um anyway i gotta look the... that up man
0: that is so that's incredible i had i didn't know that they had unearthed something like that in that area
2: oh well there's a reason you haven't heard about it why the dna i think they were scottish
0: holy crap oh my god rick see this is that's that's the part that i think is so interesting that's what we were talking about that all of a sudden these things are coming up and they they throw the whole theory of of uh, history that the way it's, it's totally off it's like okay so this does this closing flies in the face of what's been put out there as history archaeology anthropology whatever you want to call it it's like okay how does that work
2: well, yeah. How could a Scotsman Scott, come over here and establish a colony 7,000 years ago? And that's not known, but Well, I mean, well, okay. <laughs> well, think about because it. Because Akhenaten's DNA came up as R1B Scottish as well. What? Yes. <laughs> the pharaoh Akhenaten
0: You're was cute. Scottish
2: you won't hear about that on the history channel
0: i have never okay thank god i'm sitting down here i've never hadn't heard that i mean the most you hear about akhenaten was that you know he was a monotheist and you know that they kind of try to scrub him off of the, the historical you know things of the
2: grandfather tutankhamen, and then tutankhamen you know, all and,
0: all that. That. and all that but nothing like that
2: right but when when they were doing the dna of I can, went in Akhenaten and a couple others mm-hmm. that came up with R1B, and the History Channel did not show that; they flashed away from it. But a buddy of mine who is expert at reading the DNA lines like this, said, "Holy crap!" And he froze the frame, right. ran it back, froze the frame, and it's R1B. It is uh, well Western European slash Scottish slash Northern England. And a little bit as well now, but you know, seven thousand years ago, not so much.
0: and it makes you think like, how does that work? okay, you know again, then we come back to the original story is like what civilizations were where, when I mean,
2: yeah that... well in in a thousand BC, as an example, I said the Scandinavians worked so much, r one b but they were starting to be because a thousand BC. They were getting glass beads that were made by the pharaoh's glass maker.
0: The the Scandinavians?
2: The Scandinavians, yes.
0: Uh, uh, How were they doing? Okay, well, the only way you get that is through contact or, I mean, some type of contact.
2: Yeah, it doesn't have to be direct contact, but somehow those beads were traded through a network or something all the way to Scandinavia. And we're talking well up there. We're talking... Telemark, Norway, and mm-hmm. up in that right because you always
0: think of as far as ancient trading routes like the Silk Road, you know, the, but it's always into Asia. You never think of it as being further west, uh, right? Further south. Yes, exactly. But exactly.
2: The silk, the silk went to Egypt as well. The silk went to Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. The the Turkish silver went to Scandinavia. The only, about the only thing that Scandinavians could trade to the other parts of the world were a dried fish right b whale whale oil or fish oil mhm and e warriors because they certainly fought as mercenaries for a lot of different kingdoms
0: and that I mean, that has a lot of value especially if you're in a pinch because right. they got to bring home a lot of booty yeah of
2: course of course from wherever they were, or wherever they raided, they brought home stuff, and that included Chinese silks and mm-hmm. Turkish silver, and, and uh, you know northern Northern African slaves. In fact, right, right. But in a thousand A.D., give or take, people in Iceland who uh, originally came most almost all of them came from either Norway or even earlier from Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were of R1b DNA. There is a family in Iceland that has, for a thousand years, had Native American blood in them. I,
0: I, you know what? And even now, with they, they, the, the, the DNA, you know that they were saying that they never thought that Neanderthals and modern man had crossbred, and now they're oh, yeah. fine. I, I, I have three percent Neanderthal. I have. <laughs> when I looked at my thing. Was like, there you go. You know, it, yeah, my everybody. point. Right. Point being that something that before was as like, no, no, no. They kind of overlapped a little bit in time, but the Neanderthals all died out and there was no... Maybe maybe they had a little bit of contact, but absolutely no no type of breeding, no, no overlap as far as genetics. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I got news for you. So much for that theory.
2: Well, I mean, just one example. I mean, we also have 70% of our DNA that we have no idea what... It- what it is, what it does, or where it came from. When we say we're Homo Sapien, right. we're looking at a two percent of the overall genome. That's
0: that leaves a lot with a big question mark on it. A big question yeah. mark. Right. Yes, and and you know, and I'm sure you've always, you know, anthropology, the search for the quote unquote missing link. You know, and it's always that missing link somehow always eludes being found. <laughs> you know that. Yeah.
2: Well, and now we have the Denisovian. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And 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 product.
0: Yeah, but they they, they 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 I found do, they I think it. in um I think they found some uh they did some DNA on I think it was some that they found in Siberia, and again yeah. they found crossbreeding. Uh, yes. between two groups that people didn't believe that they, in other words, they found DNA uh, from basically crossbreeding between one group and the other that didn't previously was believed to have existed. Right.
2: Um, We've only known about that third human species for what, about eight years? Well, <laughs> well. Well, oh, wait, wait. What? What about the Flores Islanders, the Homo That We've known about that for nine years, and and that's an entirely different species.
0: Yes. And
2: they were little. They were only two and a half, three feet tall. Right.
0: Well, and I'm sure you've heard natives. about these uh these natives. I want to say out of New Zealand and all the islands where they did they they re- they did their DNA. Well, some of them had red hair and and light eyes and and they were. They, they they got their DNA, and it shows some type of Celt, Celtish, or from, like, and, and in other words, but none of them were, in other words, they could trace their lineage to that piece of land out, I don't I want I to say it's New Zealand, is it New Zealand, or around that area, and there had been no intermarriage, as far as, they, they knew recently who they belonged to, and they did the DNA study, and they found okay so basically you had celts out here in the south pacific how long ago uh and um i believe there was a lady uh, it was a group but it was a lady that would have been putting the um the documentary together and one of the parts of the documentary she said was the difficulty she had in getting this told or you know or talk about it or like nobody the thought you know the 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 powers that be wanted to keep this on a very low profile and kind of put yeah. it kind of thing.
2: They don't want anybody to supplant the, the legend of the Maori. Right. However, the facts say otherwise.
0: Yeah. Well, if you look at when you're looking at DNA, I mean, okay, this is not open to interpretation. The sense of it is what it is. At least the part, you know what, what it is or that you could trace. And then you have to go back into how did this happen if supposedly these people were not part of the original stock that populated this part of the world. So how did that work?
2: I don't know. About the same time that they made it to Melbourne, Florida, they made it to New Zealand.
0: Yeah. Well, then we're talking, you know, these are are some navigators.
1: right
2: in, in, uh, navigate sailor because it's two separate things
1: mm-hmm. particularly
2: on next is we going to just almost exactly the opposite side of the earth
0: yes yes nice. and some of these routes are very very dangerous to navigate I mean besides the point besides the fact of knowing where you're going or hope you know you are kind of thinking but still and, and it makes you think of course not only did they come here like oh by accident it was like that there was repeated trips in other words, they knew where they were well, going.
2: And there were also uh, repetitive visitations and trade between, mm-hmm. say, New Zealand and Easter Island.
1: Wow.
2: and And you know, the, the oral traditions of both places say that. Yes. You got, in, in, on Easter Island, you have what they call the Rungo Rungo. This is the only written record of anything on Easter Island. The Spanish conquistadors pretty much wiped out everything that the culture knew about itself hmm But this one priest um, preserved what they call Runga-Runga. It's a series of wooden boards with symbols on it. And okay. And nobody, nobody had ever been able to read these symbols. And along came a guy by the name of Barry Fell, Dr. Barry Fell. He was a marine biologist from your neck of the woods. Well, okay, he taught it at okay. your neck of the woods. And he grew up in New Zealand. okay. So he knew how to speak the Maori languages and including some of the very old children's songs. Okay. As he grew up a kid and he sang their songs with them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But when he got a hold of the Rongo Rongo, it was just symbols that had you know similarities to symbols that the Maori had used, but they had different sounds associated with them. slightly different sounds. Mhm. And when he finally figured out what each of the sounds were, it was the same songs that he'd grown up with.
1: Wow. It was
2: just, the- <laughs>
0: And all it needs yeah. is somebody just to take a closer look at something. I'm sorry? Hey, all it needs, you would think, is for somebody just to take a closer look at something. In other words,
2: do that comparison. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah but he was there with a unique set of skills um so so it takes that it's not just you know opportunity it's oh also no, no, a, no 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 uh, no no but i think also it
0: also starts with an inquisitive mind in other words somebody that's truly gonna like make the effort and like okay it's, that's not it well then what else could it be you know let's go to the next thing you know not like throw up their hands and go oh well who's gonna figure this out not me forget it, it? yeah you know. in other words that person that persists and uh and that's very interesting that something like this and then of course then that opens the door to like what you said as far as uh, some type of reference point for what was the history of the people that were there you know and yeah that 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 island in and of itself is quite a mystery you know as far as the monuments and the effigies and everything that's on there that's like how did they do all of this I mean, that they did it, they did it, but still. Uh, and it's a shame. It's a shame that a lot of the, the, the records or whatever, anything that could have pointed to as far as information, have is that's it. They're they're long gone. They've disappeared. Yeah,
2: well, there's a feeling amongst some of the elders that there are more written records. They just don't know where to look for them. They think they might be under some of those effigies. That would and be- they don't want to, <laughs> yeah, they don't want to dig up the effigies to find out.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, one thing without the other, but then, oh, who knows? But anyway, Rick, I wanted to thank you so much for spending this time with me today. It has been so fascinating. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of history has to be looked at closer because if some of them is not inaccurate, a lot of it sometimes is like, you know what you said, omitted. In other words, we're going to tell you up to this point, but there's this other part we're not going to include
2: because yeah because they think that way
0: exactly and because it casts a different light. i think that's happened more often than what people think in a lot of circumstances and uh then you have to go back and look at who were the people in place at that time that decided well we're going to have history uh this is the way we want it to to be you know and eventually it will become this because we insist on it <laughs> you know yeah And like you said, and when everybody that was alive is not around to contradict it, there you go.
2: No, I I, I enjoy contradicting falsehoods, but... Yeah, but that's
0: what they're betting on, that eventually...
2: It has been a true pleasure. Um, I I would just encourage your listeners, if they can, make it up to Harris, Michigan, the first weekend in October.
0: I was going to... to, uh, I'm going to be... If you want to mention, I know that we, you know... If anybody uh, wanted to contact you, they could find you on Facebook. Is that correct? Or is there any other way that for yeah. my podcast listeners that uh, if they wanted to reach out to you, maybe any questions about the books or maybe even uh, finding out if there's any other you know events that you're going to attend? What's your best bet? Facebook? Uh,
2: Facebook is my best bet for that. Uh, I'm also available through um, Ancient America com not ancient American magazine.com but ancientamerica.com okay. just info and i end up, i end up getting that one
0: perfect perfect okay again i'll put that in the links and thank you so much rick it has been under uh, absolutely wonderful and i wish you the best of luck in all your projects
2: thank you very much i hey. look forward to doing this again
0: absolutely absolutely take care
2: okay bye bye
0: wow Let me tell you. I wasn't kidding. You know, there's a lot. You know, and it kind of like, you know, there's, there's people out there that history is not their thing. And I understand. I, I personally, I love history. You know, all different. Whether it's recent history, ancient history, you know, I, I'm, I've always liked history. And there's other people that don't like history. But in other words, it's not their thing. But. I'm thinking to myself, whether you're a history buff or not. I don't know about you, but when it comes to stuff like this, it's like. I would I want to be given accurate history, truthful history, whatever turns out to be ugly, uh, cruel, because, you know, God knows that there was a time when human life did not mean as much. Despite what a lot of people think, where human life did not mean what it does today. In other words, but but give it to me like like let's hear the truth about that historical period, in that place, whatever it was, good, bad, ugly. That is what was happening. I want. I'd rather have that than have a group of people or whoever um, put out a version that is either slanted, either because they want to look like the good guys or. Or, you know, or, you know, we want it to be this way for generations. And, it, of course, it always serves a purpose to whoever's insisting on that version. It's, you know, otherwise they would just write it out the way it is. I'd rather have the unvarnished truth. And whoever looks good, good. And, and whoever looks bad, bad. And um, it, how about this? You know, like sometimes you look at stories, uh, you know, you could read a book or you see a movie and even in the 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 true human character let's have these the most interesting characters let's say you'll find in a movie or even a mini-series or now god knows and all these is the the person that's not altogether the good guy or not altogether the bad guy and i'm sure you see that some of the most famous villains are not wholly bad sometimes they can be real mm, dirtbags but then there's but they're more di- three-dimensional than that uh Unless, you know, in other words, there's, there's, they're not all bad. They're good. And then, you know, there's people that are more good, but then they, they do bad things also. My point being that, you know, it's naive, I think, and to think that we're going to uh, whitewash history because it might be offensive or, you know, no, it's like, you know, you have to lay it bare the way it was. And whoever looks bad looks bad, and whoever looks good or whoever, whatever it is. In in other words, I guess take out the who looks bo- good or who looks bad. You know, like the person trying to take the perfect photographs. That that's my best side. You know, no, it it because things shift around. Um, yeah. Things people are motivated in certain periods of time for doing certain things sometimes out of greed, sometimes expediency, uh, sometimes they're forced to because of circumstances. I mean, there's, God, there's, but it is a human condition that we're not all always on our best behavior, or we're not always um, have all these pure ideals. And of course, you know, sometimes history is made in a few days, you know, certain events take place. And then other times it's it's a process and i'd rather again i'd rather have the truth of what we've done as human beings different cultures different civilizations different countries whatever it is don't 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 uh, paint it a way that it wasn't because there's also a lot of good things and a lot of interesting things uh like even what we were talking about and and I think that's a problem sometimes with either historians or the powers that be the ones that put out the official version that if whether it was at the time of the discovery or whoever decided they knew better or now certain facts have come to light and they don't want it out because it would make somebody look bad or it would make them look like liars or hey this is the way we said it was and that's the way it's going to be and even though you've brought us evidence of whatever that contradicts it god forbid we're going to ignore it because that does not fit into the story we put out or it's like a chain reaction well if that if we put that in then that's going to change the narrative of all these other events all this other history about who was doing what, who was motivated by what, what happened to these people, who did what. It's like, you know, it's like that domino effect. So they're like, forget it, just leave it as it is. Okay, I have a problem with that. (laughs) I really, really do. And by this, I don't mean, I know there's, there's certain history that it is, I mean, it's accurate. And I'm not saying every bit of historical uh, information that's out there is inaccurate. But sometimes you see where there is, especially now, there's a deliberate effort to lie, disguise it, omit it, um, underplay it, uh, things like that. And it's like, to, you know, you, who are you to tell me or to give me a story like a child? You know, why don't you tell me and I can make my own conclusions about what happened at that point in history, whatever, whatever it might be, you know. Uh, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I'm the, I'm the kind of person that when it comes to history, I'm the purest. And to be honest, with you, and then there's things that we would never, ever, ever, ever know that they have been uh, tinkered with. That's a nice way of putting it. We'll never have. We'll never know. You know what that version that was put out maybe for hundreds or even thousands of years? That's not exactly accurate. Or as a matter of fact, it's not even truthful at all, okay. But I mean, like he said, a a lot of ancient civilizations is based on sometimes say a Roman historian that decided to write the story down uh, either by what he was told firsthand, secondhand, and even then, it's like okay, good luck on how accurate that is or if that's a complete story. Like they, they would, when, you know, that, they, uh, that for many years, they, it was thought that the city of Troy was not real, that it was not a real place, that it was just part of the Odyssey. And it turns out that the city of Troy did actually exist. So, I mean, I think all of this is totally fascinating. And I would urge everyone that when you look at historical content, I mean, really think about how accurate it is, or question it, and think man, you know, and ask yourself, Would I, do I really wanna be spoon-fed a make-believe story of us? When I say us, I mean as human beings, you know, even if it's not your direct history, but you, we all live on the planet Earth, last I checked, do I want to be spoon-fed a version of whatever the case might be? Ancient history, you know, maybe something a thousand, whatever. Or do I really want to know the truth? Again, it's almost like, you know, like, you know, they're holding your hand and they're like, no, no, we're, we're going to tell you what, what it is. And uh, because, and, and again, I'm going to come back. Nobody rewrites or fixes history unless there's a motive for it. You do not alter history, history or historical perspective unless there was something to be gained in, in that version and by the way sometimes the only advantage to it is to making another group of people look bad or another person or historical figure look bad which is like why you know if that group of people was so bad or that person was so bad let the truth out and let us make determinations and say that was a real," you know or what I find which is that there's different like in life history motivation things that happen how they occur is shades of gray there's not a black or a white thing shades of gray people motivated by certain things group of people motivated by certain things leaders or in some cases Kings or emperors or whoever whoever was in charge or running the decisions were motivated sometimes strictly by fe- fear their own greed sometimes it was the lesser of two evils you know it's this is bad or worse you know but and maybe you know maybe a figure that was made to be like a real villain okay if you're told you know what that this person had only these two options and that's and you're like, well, okay, you know, that was pretty bad, but I didn't realize that that person was had been forced into making a decision along these lines. That kind of changes things, because I don't know if in that place of that person, I would have done something differently. But again, you got to start out with the truth or the correct version of what happened, and then, you know, you make a decision. Whatever the case might be, I, again, for history buffs out there, uh, hopefully we're we're going to be peeling back the onion on a lot of events uh that i think there's a lot of omissions and like i said unfortunately there's stuff we're never going to be any none the wiser to it unless we come upon some discovery and then stuff like that those mind benders like that canoe that they found uh up in the northern united states with iron in it wow very interesting oh guys i hope you enjoyed this interview with rick osman again uh i will include links the credits of the show but you heard it for those that listen to the podcast how you can reach him if you want information about his book or any events that he's attending uh he really has a passion for this and as you can tell he has a lot of knowledge um and you know the will the will to find out the truth so guys thank you so much take care you're all wonderful